Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Yeah, so for the last few weeks, if you've been with us now, it's almost been, I think, like a month and a half. I'm not exactly sure, but we have been um, deeply diving into the, the topic of ministry to the Lord. And this is so crucial for us as a body and being what we would call a house of prayer. It's something that we really are passionate about. We feel God has called us into, especially through all that's happened with COVID. We really feel coming out on the other side of that, God has given us such clear vision for what it is that we should be doing. Um, And first and foremost, it's a house of prayer. Jesus, when he went into the temple uh, on his triumphal entry, he cleansed the temple and he said, my house will be a house of prayer, right? So this is actually Jesus's desire This is Jesus's definition for his house, and we've really been on a journey of exploring what does that look like to be a house of prayer, and and one of the things is when you got to go back to what Jesus quoted, which is Isaiah 56, and when you see Isaiah 56, you see that at the heart of it is that the door would be opened up through the suffering servant, so through Jesus laying down his life, the door would be opened up for all of humanity when they put their faith in Christ that they would have the opportunity to draw near to Jesus and minister to him. Draw near to Jesus and bless him. And so we've we've established this house of prayer, and there's a lot that happens, but one of the dominant things is that it's really first meeting the desire of God's heart, that he died so that we could return to him and minister to him and walk with him and have communion with him and worship him, right? So so the, the house of prayer is really, for us, it's establishing this corporate rhythm of the first commandment lifestyle is what we call it, meaning you love the Lord your God and you love your neighbor, right? But we come in to love the Lord our God and then we go out to love our neighbor. And the house of prayer is this place where we can corporally build this rhythm. We come in before the presence of the Lord, we worship, we minister to him, we bless him, we magnify him, we draw near, we catch his heart. And then from that place, God releases us into the world to bring his kingdom. We have it written on our wall, beholding Jesus and bring his kingdom. We come in to behold, we come into again, worship, magnify, exalt, and then from that place of encounter, we are transformed. The love of God is put in our hearts. We have the strategies of heaven now and not just our own thinking, and we're released back into our jobs, work, workplaces, families to make Jesus known, right? So that's, that's the whole idea. And so we've been journeying as to how do you come rightly before the presence of God, because this was important. We are new covenant priests. That's what it really, at the heart of it, to minister to God means we're priests. And in the Old Testament, priests just couldn't offer up anything anyway. There was an order to which they would do. And as new covenant priests, we're learning that even though we don't offer up animal sacrifices and we don't burn incense, the scriptures say we offer up sacrifices with our lips. It's worship and our incense is prayer. And we're learning how to come rightly before God to bless his heart, Right? Like, I see it corporately. We are so growing in this. Like, we move the heart of God today. I believe that. that's why, like, you've, you, you sense the presence of the Lord like that because he comes, he comes. I know he lives in us, but there's always more with God. So, so we've, been, we've been really, again, journeying. We, we've been laying out, like, what is uh, ministry to the Lord? That was the first few weeks, just really unpacking how it's our eternal calling. It's our, it's our greatest calling. It's our first calling. But last week, we transitioned into not just the what, but the how. How do we come before God and minister to him, right? And what did we share last week? Thanksgiving. All right, one person was here. (laughs) What we find in the scriptures is that as priests, again, we're not offering up 
animal sacrifices, but we offer up worship to the Lord. And what we're finding is that God, through the scriptures, he loves when we enter in with thanksgiving, right? That's our starting place. So we're growing as worshipers, okay? David's tabernacle we hit on has been really impactful for us to see what it looks like to be priests who minister to God in the new covenant. Even though it was in the old covenant, it was a window into what would happen. So we're going to take a step forward and we're going to look at uh, the next, I feel like the next progression after Thanksgiving, all under worship, but it's going to be praise, all right? So look at me, uh, look at uh, Psalm 9, if you would. Psalm chapter 9. All right, I'm just going to read the first two verses, and this is just going to get us going, okay? And we'll see what the Lord does. <laughs> How many of you guys were here last week? It was unbelievable. Like, service was, quote, unquote, coming to an end, and then... Kira came up, and then Brittany came up, and then before you know it, we were here for an hour, and I didn't realize it, and everyone was thanking God. So we're talking about praise. We're not going to force anything, but who knows? Who knows where it's going to go? All right, so, so Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. I want to grow as worshipers, how to minister to God as priests, right? So verse 1 says, David writes this. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, Okay? Now look at verse 2. He says, I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Okay, so you got this big picture worship. But the first thing, I want you to see what David says. David says, I will give thanks for your wonderful deeds. Remember we said last week, this is a bit of an oversimplification, but it helps us to have unity around language. We would define thanksgiving as agreeing with what God has done. So we come in before God, before we ever ask for anything, we actually come in with thanksgiving over all that he's already done in our lives. God loves this. God is drawn to this. We've seen that. It changes us. So we come in and we say, Lord, before we ever ask you to do anything, we are going to intentionally stir our hearts to remind ourselves of all the things. We're going to put your testimonies before us. We're going to put your works before us. And we've shared like the power of what happens when thanksgiving hits us. But then look at praise in verse 2. David says, I will be glad and exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name. So what's praise here? Praise is now coming into agreement with who God is. So Thanksgiving is recognizing his works, whereas praise is recognizing who he is. Okay? Really important. So we come in with Thanksgiving. This is what I see happening as we're growing. We come in with Thanksgiving. We start thanking God for what he's doing in our life, and the Holy Spirit starts meeting us in that offering because we said how, how much he loves it. And he starts opening our heart to the one that we're thanking. And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, my goodness. We're, whatever it is, we may say, man, he's, he's provider. And all of a sudden, we start praising him for who he is as provider, right? So there's, I, I feel the deeper that we get lost in, or I should say, the deeper we get into responding to the nature of God, the deeper we're getting into the heart of worship. So we come in with thanksgiving, but it leads us into praise. And the more we start beholding and adoring and celebrating who God is, the deeper and deeper we're getting into worship. Yes? So this is what we're going to talk about, praise. Uh, one of the examples the Lord had given me when we were going over this a few months ago with our, our prayer room team, because I was like, Lord, how would I illustrate this? I saw just a picture of a child, uh, maybe call it Christmas time, whatever holiday, and imagine a child who's receiving a number of gifts, Right, And he's so thankful for all these gifts. Everyone he's opening, he's just ecstatic. His heart is exploding with gratitude. And he's like, Dad, thank you for this. Uh, and you know, he's sharing how he's going to play with it, all the fun that he'll have because of this, how his life is forever changed. Right? 
Well, at some point, the child, just imagine this was a picture-perfect scene, the child will move from looking at his gifts and thanking, the God, thanking his father for gifts, where he'll move and look at his father and say, you're the best dad. I love you. You're amazing, right? What's happened is there's been a shift from thanking for just the things that we've received to start locking in and really beholding who he is, and that's the heart. So we come in with worship, but the idea is that we're learning as a, as a worship team that the Holy Spirit's going to reveal something about the Lord, and that thing is where we really start praising God, right? That's where we say, God, thank you for, like, who you are now, yes? So we're going to look at praise today, and we're going to see, as we did uh, last week with Thanksgiving, the power of praise. Like, we're going to grow as worshipers today, all right? You ready for this? And we're going to see more of what we, like, what we're going to go through. I, I just know, like, next week, I don't know, maybe we'll praise after this. We're going to have, there's going to be faith in our hearts for what we're doing. Not that there, there isn't right now, but it's going to totally change. So I want to talk about the power of praise first. That first and foremost, when you praise God, when you start loving him for who he is and adoring him and magnifying for who he is, you move God's heart. Yeah. You bless God. Like, you give him the reward of his suffering. He said, I died for you so that you would return back to me and love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when you do that, God says, it moves me. It, it, it's, it meets that desire that I have for you. But not only that, as, as we saw at Thanksgiving, when we offer up praise, it changes us because these things are vehicles for encounter. And then it changes our surroundings. That's like the big thing for today. When we see the power of praise, I mean, it changes our immediate surroundings. It changes cities. There is such power in our, in our worship and our prayer, and specifically as we're going to see in praise today. All right? So we're going to hit the power of praise, and then we're going to switch gears, and I'm going to go through the seven Hebrew words for praise so that we get a full picture of how we come before God and praise him. All right? So turn with me to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. I'm going to grow as ministers to the Lord, worshipers of God. So before we get into the, the teaching, the real heavy teaching on, on the seven words, I just want to go through and stir your hearts. I want to provoke your heart as my heart's been provoked for how powerful it is when you start praising God. Yes? So... Isaiah 42, I'm going to pick it up in verse 10, but I want you to see something. There is a beautiful pattern that's built within this chapter, Isaiah 42, that reveals the power of praise, okay? There's this pattern that I see here that is so, man, it's just so got me moved right now this week over what happens when we praise, okay? And it works in three parts. So we're only going to read verses 10 through 13, but I, you need to hear this. Verses 1 through 9 is the first part of this pattern of praise, and what it is, is if you look at your, at your uh, Bibles, you may see it say something like um, the title for chapter 42, the Lord's chosen servant. Okay, so this is a prophecy over Jesus, who he is. Jesus would come as the servant of the Lord, right? Here's the summary point. Verses 1 through 9 is a revelation over who Jesus is. That's the starting point. Holy Spirit's revealing Jesus. In this case, he's the servant of the Lord, but Holy Spirit can reveal Jesus in many ways. Verses 10 through 12 that we're about to read right now is the response of the earth and the church to the revelation of Jesus now. Look how they respond. Ready? Verse 10. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. 
his praise from the end of the earth. And you who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Verse 11, let the desert and its cities lift up their voices, the villages that Kedar inhabits. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Verse 12, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. So here's part two. Part one is Jesus is revealed. Part two is Isaiah says he has a vision now of the earth responding to the revelation of Jesus. And the natural revelation, the natural response when you start growing in the knowledge of Jesus is praise. It's praise. Isaiah is actually seeing a vision of this global praise that's hitting every geographical area. He's saying there's nowhere where you cannot go where everyone is praising who Jesus is. Which tells me that the more God reveals who the Son is, the more the Holy Spirit reveals who the Son is, the natural response is to praise him. Because this is what he's worthy of. Everything surrounding the life of Jesus, there's, there's praise everywhere. Even before he ever actually came out of the womb of Mary, John the Baptist leapt for joy in Elizabeth's womb when, she came in, when he, they came in contact with Mary and Jesus was in her womb. It says he leapt. He was already praising and rejoicing over coming around Jesus. Mary rejoiced when she was told that she'd be counted worthy to give birth to the Messiah. There's a whole prayer that she has where she rejoices and prays, praises the Father. In Luke chapter 2, it says the angel comes to the shepherds and he says, uh, don't, don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news. And then it says... Um, that, uh, that there's a, a Savior born in the city of David. And then it says in verse 13, 14, that as the angel's speaking, it's like the heavens open, and it says around the angel is a multitude of the heavenly hosts. A multitude, that means like thousands and thousands. And it says, and they are praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Why? Because Jesus has come to the earth. The praise they actually offer up as we get in is halal praise which means they were boasting and raving, like it was a celebratory dance of these angels they were seeing because of Jesus' life. Everything surrounding his life points to praise. When Jesus came into the triumphal entry, his final, his final week on earth, remember the crowds met him, and it says that they were praising Jesus, saying, Hosanna, son of David, Hosanna in the highest. And one of the Pharisees turned to Jesus and said, teacher, Tell your disciples to be quiet. And what did he say? He says, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out in their place. Amen. Think about that statement. He's saying, if they don't praise me, these rocks will praise me. Amen. He said, I'm so worthy of praise. And actually, our hearts come alive when we praise that even if we do not, he says, all of creation, he will receive his praise. Like the song says, I won't let the rocks cry out in my place. We, we, like, we have made a point in this body to say, I will not let anything Take my place that I was made for. For we've been made a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, so that we would proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He, he's called us out of darkness that we would praise him for all of eternity. And your joy is made complete and my joy is made complete when we praise him. Like praise is not just an expression. You actually find the completion of your joy when you do it. Like we said a few weeks ago, when, when you find something that you love, whether it's food, entertainment, the reality is, is that your joy is not complete until you tell someone else about it and they experience it as well. So our praise is not only is it honoring God, but actually it's filling up our heart with more joy. 
We have to tell people when you've seen who he is. Yes? So first pattern, one through nine, is Holy Spirit's revealing Jesus. Verses 10 through 12 is the response of the church, the response of God's people, which is praise. And now look at verse 13. Here's the key. Verse 13 is God responding to the response of the church. (laughs) So he stirs our heart with showing us who he is. We praise him, and then when we praise him, it starts moving the heart of God, and he starts responding to that praise. And verse 13 says this, The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. When he starts hearing the praises of his people in the heart of Jesus, he starts coming like a mighty warrior. It stirs up his zeal in his heart. He's so moved by our praise that it's like a warrior. He says, I've got to come. He stirs up his zeal. It says he cries out. He shouts aloud. He says, you've been shouting to me. Now I'm coming and shouting. He says he shows himself mighty against his foes. This is how we fight our battles. Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. We start praising as a result of that, locking in and coming to agreement with what what we see. And as a result, Jesus says, now that moves my heart and now I'm going to come. I'm going to come in power. I'm going to come like a mighty warrior. And there there is a macro and micro level of fulfillment of this. Meaning there is a big, big picture to this, and then there's a place where I think we experience this every time we gather. There's a now, not yet. The the not yet is there will be a once and for all coming of Jesus. It's the second coming of Jesus, right? And I believe this tells us that part of this is that we're going to see more and more, like, incense, a place of praises arising all over worship and prayers coming forth 24-7 as it's ushering in the once and for all king, Yes? Like, he's going to come in, and if you read, he's going to come in with justice, and he's going to return and restore everything that was broken and redeem us, deliver us, and usher in the new heavens, new earth. That's like big picture. That's important because God's calling us to something bigger than just our little church. Like, we're being grafted into something that's sweeping across the nations and this world. We're seeing more and more people get called to to the house of prayer and to lift up his name, and this is directly in alignment with what's going to lead to his return. But not just on a, on a big picture. This is fulfilled, I believe, on a, on a micro level. Meaning every time we gather in praise, every time we gather, like we just did now, every time we gather in the prayer room, every time you come away in your home, in your prayer closet, and you begin to praise God, as the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus, you respond with praise, Jesus comes into that praise. Every single time, the King of Light comes in like a mighty warrior. This is amazing. When we say this, how we fight our battles, isn't it amazing that we don't have to, in his, it says nothing about putting all your attention on what the enemy's doing. This says, praise God, and he comes and starts fighting for you. So important. Every time we praise, we need to have our eyes open that what's happening is Isaiah 42 is manifesting before us. The King Jesus is coming with a sword again. Praise, praise is the doorway of dominion. Psalm 22.3 says, God enthrones the praises of his people. That's what Isaiah 42 is saying. God enthrones his praises, which means when we praise, we're actually creating a throne on earth for God to come. That's incredible. Now, what does that mean? If we don't praise Jesus, that that he ceases to be king? Of course not. But here's what happens, is when we 
Let me put it this way. God, God will come and demonstrate and exercise his authority in a very tangible, manifested way in places where he is agreed upon, welcomed, invited, honored, yielded to. So the more that there's places where there is worship, thanksgiving, praise, intercession going up, these are places where you will see the kingdom of God explode. It says God enthrones the praises of his people. Throne means kingdom, which means when we praise, the king and his kingdom starts showing up. His rule and his reign starts moving in this place. You know what that means? That means every inferior power has to bow. We're experiencing this more and more. I've seen more people get set free in praise before I ever get up to even share the word of God. We love to teach. I love it. But if we actually come in with hearts of faith to know what happens in praise, we'll understand that when we pray, God's government comes riding in on that praise. And I've seen, I've seen in my own life and others, like sin gets dealt with, like our hearts, like we just get tender before the Lord. Sickness gets dealt with, torment. Everything that opposes the king gets confronted and it's no match for him. And everything that we've been trying to do in our own strength and we just really say, God, like, here I am, I'm gonna lift this up to you. Like, boom, something happens and hits our hearts. Like, I found myself today praising God and I felt for a moment that I was just in form. I could feel that I was in a form. And I was like, God, and I just started saying it and it's just like, I can't help but tears just start coming. Because when the heart just starts engaging this, he comes riding in. So praise not only enthrones God, but praise then, consequently, dethrones the enemy every time as well. Every single time, nothing is impossible. I felt that every time you guys were singing that. Like every time we sing, we're just clearing the air, clearing the air. Doubt and fear and all these things start getting cleared out in the place of praise. There's, um, there's a ministry. Have anyone ever heard of a ministry called Burn 24-7? No one? Uh, someone, okay, Sean, the, uh, Sean Foyt is actually the one who started this. This wasn't his testimony, though, but there was a guy by the name of David Fritsch that I was reading. So 20, Burn 24-7 is they create these places where they'll just do extended worship and prayer. It goes beyond sometimes 24-7. Uh, like they'll, I mean, for like one day. They'll do sometimes a weekend. They get all these churches to come together, and for, for a whole weekend, they just take two-hour shifts, and they worship and intercede for that community, right? And then they do some mission trips as well, and one of the trips they did wherever my SUM students are, is they went to Bourbon Street uh, in New Orleans. Now, I've been there with SUM, our Bible college, and I can tell you Bourbon Street is, I don't know how to put it. It's, it's just crazy. Like, New York City is, is crazy in its own way. This is like, this is insane. It's, it's really, it's like a spirit of insanity. The weirder you get, the more you feel like it's normal there. It's really, really wild. And so I can picture what they were doing. And they went to Bourbon Street and it wasn't, I don't think it was from Mardi Gras, but they went on the streets and they took a team. Now, you got to imagine, no one's in their right mind here. I mean, everything goes, Every, what you see and hear. And so they're on the street and they're all, uh, they get this little team and they want to just worship and pray in the middle of the street. But for the first like hour, they said nothing was really happening. It was so crowded and so loud that people were just speaking over them. And they were starting to get a little discouraged, like they were just, right, we've experienced that. Um, so they were kind of just sitting on the curb playing, but they just felt, the leaders just felt, the Lord saying, keep going, keep going. So they just keep worshiping. Every once in a while, someone would be praying there. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the street, a little pocket forms. Now, no one could even get through, but it was like a perfect little circle starts forming. And they realize, like, no one's walking into it. It's just it's happening. So they actually come around that circle and start worshiping and praying now, making this circle, right? 
Now, I've been there, and I understand how this happens, that people are just, again, so out of their minds that they don't even realize what they're, like, walking into sometimes. So when we were praying, there'd be times where they would, like, finally realize, that like, what is going on? There's, like, 100 students with name tags, and everyone's putting hands on me, right? So I can picture this, where they said there would be this circle, they're praying, worshiping, and there'd be some uh, individuals who, as they're just talking, stumbling in the streets, would find themselves in the middle of this circle, <laughs> And they started sharing how the power of God started touching people's lives as they entered this circle. That there would be people who would fall to their knees and start weeping. There were people getting sobered, asking for prayer. People got saved. They laid hands on people. They saw people's minds who were being just so tormented. Like they had such breakthrough of ministry. And it's a beautiful picture that when we worship and praise God, his throne comes. His throne comes and people start getting set free. Book of Acts. One of my favorite stories, Paul and Silas, and these guys get beaten with rods. <laughs> this is incredible. They're beaten, bloodied. I mean, I picture like sticky with blood, like they've been lacerated, and they get thrown into a jail cell where they're put in stocks. And it's the midnight hour, and you would expect you'd hear grumbling, complaining, cursing, especially because God shut one door and opened a door for them to come here. And yet at the midnight hour, it says that all the, the prisoners start hearing them praying and praising God. Praying and praising God. And what begins to happen is there's a mighty earthquake. Their shackles break off and all the other prisoners' shackles break off as well. Now, God can do that literally. He did it literally there. But there's also, I think, a prophetic picture that when we praise like that and, 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 and pray before God, like people start getting set free. Even people that weren't looking for it. Like they start encountering God. And like, what is this? This is powerful. So I really believe that God has called us to build a throne of praise right here in this city. Like right here in this city, right here in Mastic Beach, I feel like it's almost, it's a picture of, because of the way that people can see it, it's like right in the middle of the enemy's camp. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to put you right in the middle where no one said they wanted to be, and I'm going to have you build a throne of praise for me. And when we were starting this church, and especially in COVID, it was like, my goodness, God, there's so many needs in my life, in everyone's life here, in this community. How will we ever make a difference? Especially with COVID, God, what are we going to do? And I feel like the Lord said, would you lead people to exalt me higher than their problems? And watch what happens. Would you lead people to start lifting me up and seeing who I am and watch what I do? And me being a man of faith said, that's a terrible strategy. <laughs> We got to do something else. God, what are we going to do? And there is a place where we go and do, but, but man, the Lord says, if you would do this, watch how I will fight for you. Watch how I will set people free. If you would truly make it about me and lead people, lead people to me to have like raw encounters with the living God, you cannot stay the same. So we're establishing a place morning and night to let people come in, worship, praise God, be touched by that, and then be released to go in the world and, and share what God is doing in their heart. And if you think this strategy can't work, Jehoshaphat is like one of the greatest examples of this. How many of you guys have ever read of King Jehoshaphat? King Jehoshaphat, fat, P-H. Come on, where's my 80s and 90s kids at? Uh, I don't know where that's going. We got to come back. <laughs> now I'm going to keep thinking it, Jehoshaphat. Um, King Jehoshaphat was a king of Judah. He was being surrounded by three armies. Three armies converged together. And they come against him. He has zero hope of a victory. Zero hope in the natural. So what does King Jehoshaphat do? He does what we would all do. Slightly kidding. But he does the right thing. He holds a prayer meeting. And he says, we're going to fast and pray. 
and he comes before God, and he brings all of Judah together, even the women and children. Everyone comes. And what's amazing is that in his prayer, he never acknowledges the force or fearfulness of, fierceness of the enemy. He only acknowledges how big God is. And then in the middle of this prayer meeting, a man by the name of Jehazel, led by the Spirit, stands up and prophesies and tells them they're going to have victory, basically. And they leave from this place, what probably was a meeting of a lot of fear, they left actually worshiping God at the end of it. And here's the strategy that God gave them. God's strategy is that when they go before this army, that they would send the worshipers in first. Now just think about that. I, a lot of times I read stories, and I read them, and I'm too quick to make like sermon points and forget that these were real people. Like this is not just good theology. There were actually men dressed for battle, but they did not have their weapons and swords. They had timbrels and tambourines. And they're going before an army that if they have control, they will be annihilated. And I just, I just the picture, I wonder what happened as they went out, probably timid, afraid, feeling a bit foolish. And one man began to open his mouth as the Lord said, and praise the Lord for his love endures forever. And then another one said, praise the Lord for his love endures forever. And they're singing a love song to God as they're going into battle. And I just imagine as they're going, faith is arising in hearts. And before you know it, there's a chant of praise saying, praise the Lord for his love endures forever. And in verse 22, here's the key. It says that when they began, it says, as they began to praise, the Lord began to set an ambush of the armies. The armies began to fight each other. And by the time they showed up, all the armies were, were, were completely annihilated. They killed themselves. And probably some, the last few just scattered away, if there was even that. They, it said it took them three days to receive all of the plunder from this war. But here's the thing. It says as they began to praise is when the ambush was set. Now, I'm not exactly sure. I forget how long it took for them to get there. But the point is that there was a gap between them praising and actually seeing what the praise was doing. And so there's times where, like, we can leave from praising God and be like, yeah, it was powerful, but I don't know if that's doing anything. No, no, no. Every time you praise, you need to see there's a weapon that's being released. He's enthroning your praises. It's changing you. You're blessing him. It's changing you. And it's changing this city. It's changing this city. You guys with me on that? So in praise, in praise, as I said before, here's the beautiful thing. Jehoshaphat, Isaiah 42, we don't actually have to go out and face the enemy ourselves. Now, there are times where, where God gives us different strategies, but I feel like for us in this hour, this is like the main way. God is saying, look to me and let me fight for you. One more thing. In Zechariah chapter 9, it's a beautiful prophecy of the coming of the king, which is Jesus, okay? In fact, Zechariah 9 was quoted when Jesus came on his triumphal entry in his final week. And one of the things that's quoted, you have to keep in mind that Israel was pictured in being a place of, again, bondage and the enemy was oppressing them. And, and the uh, prophet Zechariah was prophesying how a king was coming to set them free. So there's a lot of expectation and joy. And this is what would happen when the king would come to set them free. Verse 13, the Lord says, as a result of this king coming, he says, for I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. You say, what in the world? Now, this is all deeply prophetic, but Judah and Ephraim, they're both names, and they both have powerful meanings. And the Lord says that when this king, Jesus, that we now know, when he comes, says, this is how you will fight. God says, I will make you a weapon, and the weapon will be a bow, and its name will be Judah. And do you know what Judah means? Praise. And then he says, and in that bow, I will put arrows, and it will be Ephraim. And you know what Ephraim means? Fruitfulness. 
So the Lord says, when the king comes, here's how you will fight. You will fight with praise. And the more you praise, fruitfulness will be released in your life, in the lives of your family. The question comes for me, do we believe it or not? Do we believe believe that actually the spirit world is more real than this world? It, It existed before. And that we actually fight our battles against not flesh and blood, but against principalities. And that if you're like, if you're in a home where there's chaos, go in your prayer closet and begin to praise God. Build a throne in that house for God's government to ride in and watch how hearts start changing. Watch how the Lord moves in power. Watch how fruitfulness hits your lives. Oh, there's much more to say, but I don't know. My heart's stirred for the power of praise, yes? All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to finish out by going through the seven words of praise, the seven Hebrew words of praise. So I want you to take this out. And this is going to be um, a, little, a little teachy, but that's good. We need that. It's because it's going to really stir faith here. So does, do we have any more copies over there? We're all out. Okay. Is there anyone who's not around someone that doesn't have one? Because I just want to say move close because I am going to read off. I want you. There's, there's actually... We're really going different right now. There's a fill in the blanks. You don't fall asleep in me right now either. No, but I want you, uh, really, I think this will be incredibly, incredibly fruitful. So we're going to work through this, and then we'll see what the Lord does after it. But we've established, like, the power of praise, and I want us to say, okay, but how do we actually praise God? What are some ways that we actually can come in and start coming into agreement with who he is and beholding who he is and worshiping him? And I think you're going to be amazed at, the variety of ways that we can praise God. And we see a lot of them happen. And the more we get this, the more faith is going to hit us. So listen, everyone in this room was made to worship God. Everyone in this room was made to minister God. Even if you do not know God, the only issue is that your worship is being placed to something else. But you were actually made to worship God. You were made to praise God. You are made to minister to God. You long for that. I long for that. And, And here's the thing. Here's what I found, though, is that if... We're made to, to, to worship God. We long for that. But without the word and without God showing us how to properly come before him, what often happens is we start gravitating towards certain groups where there's certain types of praise and worship that we feel most comfortable with. Okay? So what happens is, is um, we'll look for places that more suit our taste. It's more in alignment with our spiritual disposition, we would say. We look for places that don't offend us mentally. And that's, we all have that tendency. And what happens is we start gravitating to these places and we actually miss out on the fullness of what praise is. So what can happen in my life, and I imagine, I'm sure some of you, it's really easy to see certain expressions. And because we don't understand that it's biblical, we, we just think like, well, that's not my personality. That's not my style. Like, that's not what I do. And I get that, that certain people can gravitate and are more natural and easier to do things. But at the end of the day, like, so often I have disregarded certain forms of worship to God because I've claimed it to be denominational rather than being biblical. I'm like, oh, that's just a charismatic thing. That's what those crazy spirit-filled people do. No, 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 actually this is biblical. And the more we see this, the more we're gonna say yes to it, the more you'll actually move God's heart and the more you're gonna see this breakthrough happen in your life. So there is a large scale when it comes to the meanings of praise. There's seven words here. Uh, some of them I'll hit really quick. Some of them will speak just a little bit longer. Uh, especially like the first one, it actually is very similar to, to praise. I mean to uh, Thanksgiving. But other ones, you'll see it gets um, much different. So 
Let's look at the first one. If you have your sheet, I'm just going to go right through these and give some commentary on them. Number one, if you've got your pen or write it in with a phone, fill it in later. These are the seven Hebrew words for praise, how we praise God. You guys good? Yeah. Ready? Okay. Number one, we'll hit this quick, is the expectation of praise. These words, these phrases I'm giving are not, these are not divine or anything. These are just help, helpful ways to uh, remember like the heart of what they are. The expectation of praise, which the Hebrew word for this is tauda, tauda. Now this is the, the definition. It says, it's very similar to thanksgiving in some ways. Means thanksgiving, confession, thanksgiving for things not yet received, a sacrifice of praise. So there's a certain praise called tauda praise where you start praising before you ever see the breakthrough of the promise. You actually start thanking God in advance. This is like Acts 16, Paul and Silas. That is tauda praise. They're in an unfavorable circumstance. Everything around them screams to be bitter and complain, and yet they say we're going to lift up a praise to God. We're going to start thanking him even though we're in a place that by all natural means we should not be here. So look at Psalm 56, 11, 12. This is, there's many verses. I just chose one for you guys to have. It says, this is David being chased by the Philistines, by the way. And here's what he says. He says, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. He says, I will render thank offerings, or some translations are praise offerings. It's very similar to you. That's tauda praise. Okay? So this is when you're in an unfavorable circumstance. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Like, I feel... Pastor Crystal was talking about going through trials and praising God. She was actually leading us into tauda praise. Yeah. We're going to praise God even in the midst of trial. And there's, it's a sacrifice because it's costly. Because everything says that we should not be praising. All right? Let's look at the second one. Here's where it really, like, takes off. Again, there's a lot more, but just this phrase. The second one is the hands of praise. Yada. The hands of praise. This means to revere or worship with extended hands, to throw a stone or arrow. Psalm 134.2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. This is so important, guys. You, this is one that I feel is so under attack. And I want you to know that a lot of times, again, we're like, it's just not my personality. No, no, you don't understand. The reason why you feel like... Hesitant is because there's warfare that wages. Because when you lift your hands, it's you're releasing praise in the room. So there is a praise called Yada praise that when you start feeling a prompting, it's like, I don't understand this. I feel like i got to lift my hands to the Lord. I feel like I need to move my hands. Sometimes it's clapping hands. You have to understand, God says this is warfare. It's warfare when you come in and say, I'm going to praise him like this. Or God says, now move your hands. It actually is to extend your hands vigorously. So there's times where you move them like this, and it's like... Something shifts in the room. Like, this is, this is one, again, I feel like there's so much uh, attack over this. Um, I, I, I was remembering just going through this when I first got saved, and I was at Times Square Church, and I remember, this was before I even went to Teen Challenge, Crystal was still bartending, I would go into the Friday night service. Addiction was still all in my life, but I was, like, really being touched by the Lord. Whew. And uh, <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. I just bring back moments. And I remember coming in, I remember seeing these guys praise, lift their hands. I'm like, God, I want to lift my hands. I didn't know what it was, but someone's like, I want to lift my hands to you. And, uh, you know, jokingly, you, you, you see those memes that's like, you start with like your hands here. Hold, hold the TV, right? And it's rocking the baby. 
and he got touched down in the end. But, but I remember just lifting my hands. I remember like the freedom that I felt, like something really shifted. And guys, the enemy lies and says, at best, what happens is we think that's purely charismatic. That's just what the charismatics do. They lift their hands. I mean, it's cool, but that's just what they do. I'm not a part of that. Or at worst, we start thinking it's purely emotionalism. It's like some religious fanaticism. Like they're just crazy. It does nothing. No, no, guys, yada praise is powerful. Actually, how many of you were here when Mike Malden was here? So Mike Malden was talking about this type of praise, this type of worship, right? And he was talking about, I started going through every word, and uh, we don't have time for this, but Hebrew alphabet, each letter has a, has a meaning. Yeah. I can't go through each one. It's really amazing. But for y- Yada, um, Mike Mulder was talking about it. You, you drop the vowels and you do the consonants. And Y means hands lifted. D means door open. And then the H means the breath of God, the spirit of God comes in. So what happens is when you lift your hands, it opens the door for the spirit of God to come in. It's really, really powerful. It is not just being uh, charismatic. This is biblical, and you bless God when you lift your hands. So if you feel, you come in and you feel like God is calling you to lift your hands or do something with your hands, respond with a yes to that. It's an act of surrender and openness to God. It's an act of worship, obviously. It's an act, this is so important, it's an act of blessing. Do you know David's tabernacle, as we said last week, was different than Moses's. But do you know in Moses's tabernacle, only one man had the privilege of lifting his hands to bless the people? The high priest. He was called to lift his hands. When he lifted his hands, he would bless the people and put the name of Yahweh upon them. In David's tabernacle, which is, uh, you know, testimony of where we would be, every priest has the privilege to lift his hands now. It is not a burden to lift our hands. We've actually been given the privilege in the new covenant as a priest to lift up our hands. David says, when I lift up my hands, it's like the evening sacrifice. God receives it as worship unto him. It's warfare. You act like, the Bible, Romans says that our bodies, our entire bodies are instruments of righteousness. I would never believe this if it wasn't for in the word. Every part of your body is actually an instrument to wage war and to release righteousness. The revelation of who God is. Every single body part, when we do it, yes, can we do it in a way that is just purely emotional? Of course, but honestly, I'm not, I, like, I don't care about that. What I want is I want the truth, and I'm not going to throw everything out because there's some who have abused it, which is what the enemy wants us to do. You know, we're going to recapture and redeem what real biblical worship looks like. So just don't turn it, just listen. Psalm 144.1, David said, Praise the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. My fingers for battle. I'm still on the hands of praise. David said, the Lord trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Now, he was a real warrior, but we're in the new covenant. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight and use the weapons of of the world. Our weapons are spiritual and mighty to take down strongholds. And I believe, as David said this, we apply this in our lives to say the Lord has made our hands like weapons. He's made them for war. One of the most important teachings in the Bible is the laying on of hands. When you lay on hands, there's impartation, there's breakthrough, there's healing. Like, it's a really powerful gift. I think one of the greatest stories of laying on hands is um, in Moses in Exodus 17. I don't know if you guys have ever read this. It's a really interesting, bizarre story, uh, but it really drives home what happens. God told Moses that the Israelites were going to face the Amalekites in war. And he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go up to a high hill, and you've got to lift your hands up. And when you lift your hands up, he says, I will give Israel victory over the Amalekites. But if your hands fall 
actually the Malachites will overtake them. And so he had his hands lifted, but they got tired. They began to fall, fall down, and the Amalekites began to overpower them. So Aaron and Hur come up on the hill with Moses, put a rock under him, and held up his hands. And for the whole battle, his hands were lifted, and there was spiritual breakthrough. Now, we don't see what's happening directly, but from other stories we know, we know what happens. Like when Elijah saw the, or Elisha saw the, the, army, the army of heaven surrounding the natural army. We know that when those hands went up, the reason why that the enemy was being defeated is there was angelic activity being released over that place. Like there's stuff that we could not see that when they praised like that, God was moving. So it's not only for you, but it could be for this room. So if God stirs your heart to lift your hands, I don't know, do something weird with your hand. Just say yes to it. Look, we'll, we'll correct, we'll, we'll grow in this together, but we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna lean on the side of faith and really go for that, all right? So that's the hands of praise. The third one is the music of praise. Oh, this is so good. This is Zamar, which I wanna, Z, can't go into it, means weapon, to pierce. This whole word is, a, is about a weapon, but here's what it means. Define, to make music, to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. So you can actually praise God coming into a room. You could be dead silent, and you can just lift your hands and move your hands, and actually you're waging war. You can actually come into a room, never sing, and just start playing instruments. So look at this scripture, Psalm 150, 3 to 4. It says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. You know, in Revelation 5, the throne room of God, there's all this imagery. Think about this. God could have anything he wants surrounding him, but it says that there are the elders and the imagery is that they have harps. It's an imagery of worship. They're stringed instruments that come around the throne room of God. He is so moved when we play instruments. Let's read it. Come to Isaiah 30, and then we'll, we'll hit this more. Isaiah 30, if you would. Verse 31 to 32, I'm going to read. Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30, verse 31, 32. All right, Isaiah 30, 31, 32. This is God speaking. Assyria is a picture, is a real enemy, but again, for us, we can picture God fighting for us in the new covenant, spiritual enemies. But the voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria. Verse 31, the voice of the Lord will shatter Assyria Listen what he'll, how he'll shatter them. With his rod, he will strike them down. So there's this imagery of God striking down the enemy of Israel, Assyria, with a rod. That's a scary image. <laughs> Verse 32 says, Every stroke the Lord lays on them with his punishing club will be to the music of timbrels and harps as he fights them in battle with the blows of his arm. God is saying he fights the enemy of Israel, Assyria. The imagery is that he's fighting them, and in the, in the spirit, it's like he's hitting them with this club, but he does not release his club until he hears the timbrels begin to play, until he hears the harps begin to play. And he says every time the instrument is plucked, God releases another blow to the enemy. Every time they play it again. Guys, these, if, listen, if you're a worshiper, like these instruments are weapons, there are times where we can feel like, man, we're not supposed to sing a word. Just begin to pluck your instruments. Just begin to play your keys. I felt Ray today. There was a time where you started playing the drums. 
something hit. And I would have never thought about it this way until I was started digging into this, that the reason why our hearts exploded is because I believe the Holy Spirit was responding to that when he was like, and the Holy Spirit's like, boom, he comes in. What? <laughs> and, 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 it, and God loves this. And there's a, way, there's a place where we just minister to God. Like when we get in that prayer room, where's Laurel, my, my worship leader in there? It's just Laurel on the guitar. And it can maybe feel like sometimes, what am I, I going to sing? And sometimes God says, just start playing your guitar. <laughs> and you don't even realize it's touching me and it's changing this place. It's changing you. God responds to that. It's so, so, uh, we were at, oh my goodness, I just remember, we were at Jesus Conference two years ago. A couple of us were there. Caesar still listens to this. In the midst of this heavy worship moment, all the singing stopped, and a guy who had a violin began to play a violin. Now, how, don't, how long did he play for? Ten minutes. I felt like I was there for, I felt like I was in heaven. He just played, and the more he played, it was like the peace of the Lord was just released. It was so powerful. Like, who would ever think a violin is a weapon for God? But it is. In, uh, in 1 Samuel, um, I think it's 16, it's a well-known story where Saul, because of his disobedience, he began to be tormented by a spirit. And what would happen is every time he was tormented by it, he was, uh, David actually wound up serving Saul at this point. He wasn't king yet. Saul was. But David said he was called to bring out his lyre, which is almost like a harp, and he would play the instrument. And every time he'd struck it, the, uh, strike it, the uh, demonic spirit would flee from Saul. He didn't even sing. He would just play this, in this instrument, and the demonic spirit would leave. Do you know in David's tabernacle, David, it says in uh, 1 Chronicles, I think it's 23, and then in Amos 6, it says that David invented instruments. David, because he saw the power of instrument, he invented instruments to praise God. Like, think about this. He, he, he had such a heart and understood the power of just playing instruments. He said, how can we come up with new ways to, to move the heart of God this way? Like, if you think David's tabernacle was just, you know, an American worshiper singing how great is our God over and over, that's awesome. But, no, you have to understand, these Jewish Levites, they passionately worship God. They, they, they were creative they were innovative, they were loud, they were celebratory, they were looking and studying new ways just to keep moving the heart of God with new instruments. I feel God is restoring, like he's restoring worship to the church right now. Is this, is this helpful going through these things? You know, Okay. Because I, I want you to hear, so I, I would have never thought this, but going through seminary, if I would recommend someone to study something, I actually think studying church history is so significant because so often things that we believe today, we think that they're in the word, but it's so helpful to study church history to see where these beliefs were picked up and how they became doctrine and they have no basis in, in the word of God. And the point is with worship, so much of what today is like banned from church, if you go into the roots of the Bible, you'll find out, man, it was celebratory, it was lively, there was, there was dancing, there was all these things. What happened was, is in the medieval period, like 500 to 1500 AD, a thousand year reign, it was the dark ages. At that point, it was the Catholic church was the main church and they started to veer off. It wasn't where it started as the Catholic when it was really the universal church. And what happened was, is that corporate singing was banned. You couldn't even sing anymore. Even clergy, even clergy were restricted in how much they could sing. The church had lost their voice. Like God is coming back with a church that's singing a new song. 
songs that are songs that are birthed. New songs, we're, we're going to see that. It's not songs that we've learned, although there's nothing wrong. It's actually songs that are birthed from your personal history with God by the Spirit. And God's going to start releasing new songs all over the earth. But I feel like we're just starting to find this again because it was banned for a while. In fact, all musical instruments were banned outside of the organ. Only the organ for the longest time was allowed in the church. The sad part was is that towards the end of the Dark Ages, music started to explode outside of the church. So a lot of Christians left to be able to creatively express the gift God had given them. I feel like God is calling us back to give a real picture and redeem worship in the church again. Like, let creativity flow. Let, let, let the instruments flow. If you paint, paint for the Lord. Like, we want to explore. We want creativity. We want the gifts to flow. Like, this should be so joyous when we gather, Yes? The music of praise. All right, let's go to the next one. Wow, time is going. Here we go. Oh, thought about Joe, Joe Johnson. Oh, all right. The celebrate. The next one is the celebration of praise. This is the celebration of praise. Okay, this word is halal. This is the root word of hallelujah. Okay, what does this mean? It means to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Oh, this one gets offensive to my own heart right here. Psalm 149.3 says, let them praise his name with dancing. <sighs> Making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. I want to say, I'm not a dancer, and I'm not. But the Lord has called me to dance before him. And I want to, like, we want to grow. I want to grow in this. But this means to boast. Like, this is the celebration. <laughs> hey, you're... <laughs> you may have to. Oh, man. i got a lot of conflicting thoughts in my mind right now. <laughs> um... But one of the defining marks that we've said over the house of prayer is joy. Jesus said it. It will be joy. Joy. Like, it's the celebration of the gospel. We get to have fellowship with the one who set us free. There should be joy in this house. It's the celebration of halal praise. This is what the, when I said before, this is what the angels were doing, even though it was New Testament. We know that it would, in the Old Testament, it would have been halal praise when they were praising um, over the fact that the, the, the angel was speaking to the shepherds that the Savior has been born, he saw the multitude in the heavens, they were doing halal praise. So these angels were dancing and jumping up for joy over the fact that Jesus was coming. Dancing. Uh, joy should explode in this house. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3.4, one of the uh, famous passages, says there's a time for everything, and it says there's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. There's actually a time to dance. So think about it. We can praise God with our hands. We can praise God with instruments. And we can praise God with a celebration of dance. So when you see people come up here with flags and dancing, this is ministering the heart of God. And it's really, really powerful as well. David, I think as Pastor Crystal mentioned, when David had the Ark of the Covenant brought before him, which is a picture of Jesus for us, the king over Israel said, that's my king. And he actually was basically stripped down to his undergarments and danced with all of his might before this ark, before the presence of God. 
And his wife, Mikhail, says, you need to act more dignified. And he says, I will become even more undignified. I will become even more foolish. And, and man, I was reading some testimonies. Look, this challenges me. I was reading testimonies of pastors that, that or not even pastors, leaders who God led them to do this. And you'd say, how foolish. But 1 Corinthians 3 says God uses the foolish things of the earth to confound the wise. And I'm like, no, don't make that perfect connection for me, Lord. But there are times where God uses our foolishness to confound the, the ones that have arrived. The ones that say, I figured this out. And he says, now we're going to make you childlike. You're going to dance before me and watch what happens. Dancing, according to the Jewish culture, was often used to be joyous. And again, it was celebratory. But it wasn't always that. Dancing also, there's another word in the Hebrew called chul. Probably not, I probably don't know more with that. But chul, and it means, I want you to hear this. It means to writhe. It means to, um, to, to twist. It means to, uh, it means to like have uh, pain, travail, uh, agonize, to bring something forth. If you hear that, it actually sounds like childbirth. And the idea is that dance, some dance was purely out of joy. Some dance was interceding and birthing things. There are times when God calls individuals to dance, and they're actually, through their dance, they're waging war and birthing things that God has said. Like, this, this is the word of God. Dance is so powerful. Do you know that prophets in the Old Testament, they didn't always just prophesy with words. Sometimes God called them to do symbolic actions. Ezekiel put a brick down, said, this is Israel, and he laid next to it and said, whatever I do to this brick is going to happen to Israel. It wasn't just a nice picture. Actually, there was grace and power on it that when people saw it, their hearts got touched and turned by what was happening. Like when people dance and they're dancing prophetically, they actually can be interceding and hearts get stirred. We were at Upper Room Dallas, Texas recently. I think maybe more than the worship. When the dancers came forth and started dancing in alignment with what they were seeing in the songs, my goodness, I couldn't like keep it together. There was such power that was released from it. And one other thing on this, this is similar to the music. For all you, all of us are called into this. But when, before the Romans came in power as the Greeks, this is really important. When the Greeks came into power, they changed the game with dancing. They started making it purely a form of entertainment, and it was an expression of sensuality and lust. And so what happened is the Hebrews who were underneath their rule were fearful that their dance would be linked up with that dance. So they stopped doing it as much. I feel this is what's happening in our culture today. Like there's such perversion when you put on music videos of dancing, of what people wear and how they dance, that the church has banned dancing. But we need to redeem what it actually is. We, we need to give the earth a preview of what it looks like to dance in purity before our creator. All right, the next one. Some of these will hit quick. We will. The shout of praise. The next one is the shout of praise. Shabbat. So we haven't even gotten the songs yet. You know you can actually praise God when you just shout? Yeah. <laughs> one of... One of the ways that they praise God in David's tabernacle is David actually, uh, it was called the shout of amen. They would just shout amen. But there are times when you don't even sing, like something wells up and you just need to see like, you need to say like, Jesus! <laughs> or, I don't know what it is, glory to God. Like you release a shout and something happens. Here's the definition. 
It means to shout, to command, a victorious shout, a shout of triumph, a battle cry. So you actually praise God when you release this type of shout. Psalm 117.1 says, praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples. Now, again, it's easy to think that this is hype, that this is just purely emotional. No, no, no. Some people, honestly, if there's a place where we can move in spirit and truth, and when we shout, we're releasing a voice of triumph. I mean, Jericho is probably the, one of the greatest examples of, of, of Shabbat praise. When they, when they marched around the walls of Jericho on the last day, they were commanded to shout. When they shouted, the walls came down. Jesus in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, Jesus is returning with a shout. He's returning with a shout. There are times to be still and quiet. There are times where God says, now shout right here. Like lift up your voice to me. One of the most amazing things about Shabbat is that it actually also means to soothe and still. So there's a psalm that says, God, who stills the waters, the word stills is Shabbat. He Shabbat's the waters. How can that be? It sounds counterintuitive, but sometimes when you shout loud with a voice of triumph, you actually bring stillness and peace to your life. You calm, you calm like the, the voice of the accuser. I don't know how it all works, but I know it's right in there in the Bible. And when you shout, something happens in your life. Listen to this, Psalm 8-2. You know, just listen. Through the praise, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. So through the childlike, you've established a stronghold through the childlike praise to silence or still the foe and the avenger. So that's Shabbat praise. When you release a loud praise to God, it actually produces a stronghold that silences the voice of the accuser. The next one, the song of praise. Tehillah, the song of praise. Man, there's so much to say in this, but um, the definition is a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. This, we're gonna come back into in another day, but this, this is deeply rooted in prophetic worship and the power of prophetic worship. A new song, when you sing to heal a praise, that actually is a song that, again, it's not just one that you've memorized, although that is nothing wrong to sing other songs. It's a song that's birthed by the Spirit because of something you've seen God do or, or, or you've seen something about him. Throughout the scriptures, you'll see God declaring, sing a new song. We read Isaiah 52. What it's saying is sing a song in light of the revelation you've just received. So when we worship, there are times the worship team will lead us into a new song based on what God's doing right there. And there is so much power in life on that. It becomes very prophetic in nature. And when that happens, these songs actually awaken people. They call people. They actually change hearts of people to return to God. Look at the psalm I gave you for it, Psalm 43. It says, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. And look at what the result is. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When the new song is released, it's going to touch hearts and put the fear of God, which is not being afraid. It's actually an awesome, like, to be in awe and reverence of God. I'm going to go so deep in that because there's so many other things about the power of prophetic worship. But I just want you to know that there are times where we just sing songs that are birthed right here, and there's so much life. For you worship leaders, go for it. Release those songs. In the New Testament, what, what is called the new song in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's called the spiritual song. It says, sing hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. These are songs that are birthed by the Spirit. All right, and the last thing is here. Number seven, 
is the posture of praise. You know what, let me say one other thing, the last one I just remembered. When, uh, when Jehoshaphat went into battle, he was actually giving Tehillah praise, which means he was si- they were singing a song that God gave for the moment. And I just want you to know that this is not just for worship leaders. Maybe you've experienced this. God will give you songs and seasons. There's a lot of life on those things. They're, they're, there's a grace on them that when you sing them, they'll, they'll do something directly that impacts the season that you're walking through. And then the last thing is the posture of praise. We'll close here. The posture of praise, which is Barak. Barak. So this means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to revere, to worship. Okay? One of the well-known psalms is, bless the Lord, O my soul, forgetting out all of his benefits. That word bless is Barak. In other translations, it's, it's praise. It's a sign of humility. So there are times when you can actually just fall to your knees and actually you're worshiping and blessing God. All right? We've got a full arsenal now of how to praise the Lord. (laughs) I don't know. Do you guys want to praise for a moment before we leave this place? All right, we're going to end like this. Yeah, come on up, worship team. I know if some need to go, we bless you guys. I'm going to ask them to close in one, one song.